You want me to tell you a funny story? <laughs> here's, here's the story. The story is this. I have an uncle whose best friend was white growing up. They used to steal together. Now, both of them were thieves. My uncle would always go into the store first. Very dark, complected guy. And he would distract everybody while his white friend stole everything. <laughs> he was just decoy. He, he was, was a decoy. decoy. He was the black decoy, man. So it's just like like that. Like so, so who can get away with that? Nobody can get away with that except for people who know they're being watched and somebody who knows that they won't be watched. You got to know the game. You got to know the game. Oh, what, what game? What game are you talking about? I'm talking about knowing how your skin color is perceived by society. Like like racial biases. Oh no, like biases, like discrimination. That's stuff from like the civil rights movement. You don't think we're like a post-racial nation now? Uh, no way. Do, do you think racism doesn't exist today? What about the fact that if I wear sweatpants and George into a store, the level of service I receive goes down dramatically. But if I wear khakis and a polo shirt, it's like, oh, yeah, we can give this dude some good service now. And it always happens the way, at least for me. I can't make this stuff up, man. I mean, it's like the real deal. This is the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Kevin Jones. Each episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode, where the gospel meets race and racial reconciliation. We're going to hear stories from one local church in Louisville, Kentucky, and how this topic of racial reconciliation has turned this church upside down. And for our stories today, we are focusing largely on the diversity between black people and white people. All ethnic groups are important, but we do want to note that the context of this story is between these two groups. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., an iconic figure for civil rights and racial unity, that speech is probably nothing new to you. No, and this idea of racial reconciliation is not new either. Reconciliation is God's idea, not ours. The book of Revelations chapter 7 says, A great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, a culturally and racially unified worship service. What's interesting is Dr. King also had something to say about our church's worship services. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Church on Sunday, the place that's supposed to be about love and acceptance and unity, this place where ultimately, according to Revelation 7, we will all be worshiping together, is the place where we see the most segregation. Yeah, here's a recent study from Lifeway Research. Eight out of every 10 Protestant churches in America have one, one dominant ethnicity in their congregation. So we see this feature given to us in Revelation where all races come together and worship and we see our current situation in our churches where there isn't much diversity and there's this gap. Dr. King's words are still true more than 50 years later. Which begs the question, how are we going to cross this gap? If God is going to bring racial reconciliation to all peoples, shouldn't we live like we believe that? Shouldn't our churches and our lives reflect our God whose very nature is about reconciling? Well, Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, believes that in order to see this reality in the future, we need to work towards it now. This is like the elephant in the room for our whole culture, for for evangelicalism as a movement. 
That's Mike Cosper, avid blogger, pop culture guru, and also one of the pastors at Sojourn. And our story starts when Cosper, who's white, pushed the limit with a sermon he titled Jesus, Race, and the Wall of Hostility. It was an entire sermon on the history of racism in the American church and the divisions he believed God is calling us to tear down. It was an unforeseen catalyst that forever changed the people at Sojourn. But before we get into that, it's important to note the history of this mostly white Baptist church because it plays an important role in their dealings with race. We started off in the Highlands, which is sort of upper middle class, white neighborhood. Most of our founding members were middle class or upper middle class. And we we met in that neighborhood because it was sort of the hub of cultural creatives. Sojourn started small, just a Bible study with all white members. Then the church started to grow, which meant they needed a building to meet in. So they bought a space in a neighborhood called Germantown. Moving to Germantown in 2006, 2007 happened because that was where we could afford space. But it it kind of matched some things that were happening demographically anyway, in that a lot of young cultural creatives were moving into Germantown at the time. You know, again, it's a mostly white neighborhood, mostly white people moving in, but upper middle class moving into a lower middle class neighborhood. There was this whole city renewal initiative in Germantown. Folks started buying and renovating houses. Sojourn joined in on this beautification process. And then the 2007-8 economic crash happens, and all that just stopped. And the neighborhood sort of took back its character of being a a lower middle class, blue collar, impoverished neighborhood. So it feels like the first big transition for us was the transition to getting used to being in a neighborhood where poverty was a a reality. It was a day-to-day reality. So just getting adjusted to that was, was rattling. And then fast forward, 2012 or 13, we moved into the cathedral space. The cathedral space, that St. Vincent's Cathedral in a neighborhood called Shelby Park. Now, you want to remember Shelby Park because it's going to keep showing up in our stories in future episodes. And here's why. The west end of Louisville, it's mostly low-income and mostly African-American. The east end of Louisville, it's mostly white, middle-class and upper-middle-class. But there's this one area where these two worlds converge. And that, that is Shelby Park. And here, suddenly, Sojourn found themselves in the middle. And for this story in particular, it's important to know that it's right next door to the Germantown neighborhood. And while Germantown is mostly white, Shelby Park is half African American. 54% to be exact. And these two neighborhoods are literally divided by a railroad track. Germantown on one side of the tracks and Shelby Park on the other. And throughout history, folks from one side of the tracks, they do not cross over to the other side. It's like a visible racial divide. The phrase, the other side of the tracks, it's not a metaphor for these folks. It's reality. But then Sojourn did something you're not supposed to do. When they bought that cathedral, they crossed the tracks. This was their first step towards racial reconciliation. And they assumed location alone would begin to diversify their congregation, except now, all their white members, they were coming into this mostly black neighborhood once a week. And it just felt odd. This is Casey Ham. Uh, and th- I am Rachel Ham. I'm Casey's wife. And we're in Louisville, Kentucky. We go to Sojourn Community Church. Are you, are you going to, like, describe us before you get to our interview? Of course we will. Casey's a Sojourn member who's racially mixed. White mom, black dad. He has a very dark complexion, though, so he identifies as African-American. And his wife, Rachel, she's white. And they live in the Shelby Park neighborhood. You know, I'm in a neighborhood that's at least 50% black. And, you know, I might see five black people at a service. Uh, kind of, you know... 
what gives there? What What's the purpose of moving into this neighborhood? Is it because this is a really nice, old, cool building? Or are we really trying to reach this neighborhood? When I came to Sojourn, there were several minorities here. And their experience was they just felt alone, felt like people didn't understand that their church that they love, their church family that they love, that in many ways this is a relationship that is stronger than even blood family, it still felt like a place where they felt other. Here's Mike Cosper again. We recognized early on there's a lot about our culture that's going to have to change. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our congregation are white, upper-middle-class hipsters. And so we just recognize, hey, this is not a hospitable environment for most African-Americans and, and certainly not in Louisville. We could, there's some gospel tunes and gospel music. What if we did some of those? Casey's wife, Rachel, was part of the music team at Sojourn. And Sojourn, they're well known for their music style. And it was just met with, you know, well, there, there's reasons why we can't do that. We don't have the musicians who know how to play that style. And it'll sound really hokey or fake if we try to do that. Or it was met with kind of like, what's what's the value? It's only it's only five or six members of our congregation. Like, we love them. We care for them. But, you know, we have hundreds of people. And it was obvious that throughout the body, throughout the whole body of, of the church, there was just generally a total unawareness of how big of an issue this was. And that it wasn't just about our church body, but that it was about our culture as a whole. That unawareness came to an end about two years later. Because now, Cosper is about to preach his sermon, the one that I mentioned earlier, Jesus, Race, and the Wall of Hostility. It was fall of 2014. Sojourn was preaching through the book of Ephesians, and they came to Ephesians chapter 2, which says, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. As soon as we knew we were doing an Ephesians series, we knew we'd come to this passage and we had to figure out, okay, what are we going to what are we going to do with it? How do we want to approach it? You know that Ephesians 2 passage is is famous for being a passage to for for these kinds of conversations around race because it's, you know, Christ tore down the wall of hostility. As a writer and blogger, Cosper had been sharing his thoughts on the recent happenings in Ferguson, Missouri, the shooting of Michael Brown by a white police officer and the riots that followed. But I had been writing on race uh, a good bit. And so the pastors asked me, hey, would you take this, take this passage, take this week, knowing that, that it was a tough subject and that I at least had a certain fluency in how to talk about the questions or how to speak specifically to white people about these things. But having fluency doesn't make the words easy to say or to hear. Here's a clip from that sermon. Nick Kristoff in the New York Times wrote a a fascinating editorial called Are Are We All a Little Bit Racist? And he includes African Americans in this. And what he shows is that studies show this broad tendency to to make prejudicial judgments about people with black skin. And what he points to, and, and this is so crucial for us to hear it, is that most of this bias is implicit. It's not conscious. And, and here's the thing. Racism isn't just politically incorrect. It's sin. And sin is dynamic and deceptive. Racism deceives us, and we think we've conquered, conquered it, but it persists in our hearts, and it persists in our culture. My goal was to get white members of our congregation to acknowledge there's still a problem here. It didn't end with the end of slavery. It didn't end with the civil rights movement. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. But there is equal opportunity for blacks here in America. There is not equal opportunity for blacks in America. Hold on, hold on. In fact, because of affirmative action and things like that, it now establishes legally 
that people of color cannot be discriminated against, that being black can actually work to your advantage in some cases. Yeah, so that's to the advantage of a few. It's not a systemic advantage at all. For example, the Knife Street Divide in Louisville. So one way you go downtown, everything is all hunky-dory, nice buildings, nice restaurants, everything is clean, kept neat. Boom, you cross Knife Street, 10th on down, family dollars on every other corner, liquor stores on every other corner, and that is simply the Knife Street Divide. You tell me, what's the predominant race that lives beyond Knife Street? Yeah, it's mostly African-American. Yeah. And this is just in the city of Louisville. Here's Cosper again. We quote pastors and theologians and treat them like they're heroes. And people in our pews and people in our neighborhoods think to themselves, that guy might have owned one of my ancestors. That's privilege. It's never having to hear quotes from people who subjugated your relatives. And the refusal to acknowledge it, its existence is itself a way of wounding a whole community. The Southern Baptist Convention is a is a convention whose foundations exist because of wanting to stay with white slaveholders. Sojourn Community Church is a church that's part of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention, by and large, was was ran by men who were pro-slavery. These guys said, we want to possess people. And it was not until the last 15 years that the denomination finally apologized for that, publicly recognized that it was a sin, and has since done some very heavy lifting to try to reconcile those things. But the history of our church is white folks wanted to subjugate black folks. And so you have this incredibly dark history and legacy, and it it shadows a lot of what we do, and it shadows a lot of the reality of how it is. And yeah, it's way more fun to preach platitudes and sing some happy songs on a Sunday morning than go, hey, this is a big deal. And people are still hurting over this and being hurt by this now. It was a bold step toward racial reconciliation, and Sojourn has four services on Sunday. So Cosper, he had to say this message four times. But what Cosper and the other pastors didn't realize was the aftermath and trajectory their church would now take because of this Sunday. One of the things that happened afterwards was there was a significant amount of pushback. I got a lot of pushback for my comments. Angry white folks, angry black folks, and a small glimmer of hope. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Johanna from Honolulu, Hawaii. I made an impact on racial reconciliation by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship and Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Kevin Jones. Pastor Mike Cosper has just preached a landmark sermon at Sojourn Community Church on why racism still exists in the church today. And his sermon stirred a lot of reaction. He got face-to-face comments and many emails. The first comment he received was... By 11 a.m. that day. Uh, So somebody went to the first service that day, went home, and sent me a dozen links. Just lots of these very hardcore right-wing kind of things, saying uh, racism doesn't exist in America today. And this guy wasn't the only one who had an opinion. There were many white people who were very upset. I mean, I remember, I remember after one service, there were these, these, um, uh, these, these gals sort of confronted me, white gals, born and raised in the suburbs, and just vitriolic, just angry over the, the content of the message. You know, and essentially arguing, 
hey, you didn't preach the text. You you brought too much politics or too much philosophy or this kind of the other, you know, we need to talk about Jesus. And not just white people, even the handful of black people in the church were upset too. There were African-Americans who were angry that we were talking about this. They came to church and essentially they said, we deal with this all day long, all day, every day. I came to church to hear about Jesus and be encouraged. I don't want to sit through that. I have another friend who's a police officer who came and, and was actually encouraging about the whole conversation and shared some interesting stories from, from inside um, the, the police department. Who said that as he was walking in, you know, one of his friends who was also a police officer was walking out and said, you don't want to go in there today. You don't want to listen to this. And <laughs> I mean, I, I went home, couldn't sleep that night. I was, I was just rattled by it. And then the next day, um, I think I finally got, a, got to sleep at around one in the morning. And I think I slept until one or two in the afternoon the next day. Um, just, just exhausted from the whole experience because of the sense of resistance in the room, the very obvious sense that you are saying things that people don't want to hear. This sermon made me more aware that even amongst my friends, um, even amongst people who I've lived life with and lived in community with for a long time, the problem runs deeper than, than we know. In the midst of all the backlash, Cosper says there were a few encouraging responses. There, there were three women in particular, African-American women, who attended that day, who just went out of their way to say, to say thank you and just to, to share their own experience in the church. And, you know, and this tension for, for them, I mean, for all three of them, they were saying, look, I'm, I was hovering on the edge of this community trying to understand, do I have a place here or not? Because here's this aspect of my life and it hurts. And... I want to be in a church where people share that pain and where, where I'm, I'm welcome to feel that pain and, and, and talk about it. For me, it was kind of like shocking. That's Casey and Rachel Ham again. Remember, Casey is black and Rachel is white, and they're both members at Sojourn. And they were there that day listening to Cosper's sermon. I was already kind of, you know, feeling on edge, kind of singled out like, oh, it feels like everybody's looking at me. I'm one of, <laughs> you know, seven black people in this yeah. Uh, service right now I know that everybody's immediately thinking like oh what's he what's he thinking what's Casey's reaction what like that entire hour and 15 minutes or whatever was very tense and the tension didn't leave when they left the service Casey and Rachel were engaged at the time and Rachel's parents just happened out of all Sundays to be visiting that day and like all good Southern Baptist folks they went out to lunch after church Casey felt very uncomfortable, and he was hoping no one would bring up the sermon. But it wasn't the type of sermon that you just forget two hours later. So, of course, it got brought up. And Casey's mother-in-law asked him a question. And her mom asked the question of, well, Casey, have you ever been, like, pulled over by the cops? Have you ever been, like, anything like this? And so just kind of that dynamic of her parents, like, being sincerely interested, but also unaware and then just the general atmosphere of everything, it was very, it was very uncomfortable for me, but that whole day was very uncomfortable already. Rachel says she doesn't remember feeling uncomfortable. She was glad the issue of race was finally being talked about. I was really grateful for my parents to get to hear that. And I was really glad to get to hear some of Casey's perspective as well. Now the people of Sojourn were very aware of this issue of race. So was hearing that sermon enough to create diversity and bring the church closer to what we see in Revelation 7? Well, what actually began to happen is not uncommon. 
You've probably experienced this yourself, when you're around someone of a different race and suddenly you lose your social ability. You don't know what to say to this person. You're afraid you might say the wrong thing and offend them. You feel flustered and unprepared. The, you know, handful of uh, minority people at Sojourn, um, many of them then then became the subject of, of lots of questions from different people. Is this really your experience? You know, or even just um, people were felt suddenly felt uncomfortable around them. Where suddenly you can almost feel it and see it on people's faces. Oh, I want to say something or do something or whatever, but I don't know what to say. I don't want to offend you, but I don't want to make you think that I'm not thinking about it. But I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to say anything. But all that that I'm thinking is right on my face. (laughs) Hi, how are you doing today? In an effort to ease some of this tension, Sojourn began hosting what they called race talks. Anyone was welcome. They got together, broke up into smaller groups, making sure each group had at least one minority member and one church leader. And they opened it up for questions, concerns, problems, really anything was welcome to be voiced in these groups. A lot of what was voiced was that people were skeptical or fearful of change. There were several folks who who just expressed like, I get it that this is a good thing, but why us? Why does it have to be us? I like things the way they are. I like our music. I approached a few of the elders that I had relationships with and be like, hey, um, kind of struggling through these things you know what how how can you help me can you know can we talk about this like what you know what can you do for me kind of thing casey put together a survey for sojourn's elders he asked his minority friends in the church to share their experiences and interactions they had with people in the church the results were actually very disheartening and the testimonies had one theme in common minorities were getting hurt because the church just didn't know how to love them the elders had no idea that the membership was so ill-equipped to love and care for their minority brothers and sisters. One of those people was Ashley Jackson. In summer of 2015, Ashley came to Louisville to serve with Love That Neighborhood. Now, Love That Neighborhood, we offer social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults. And Ashley... She's African-American, and as part of her internship, she attended Sojourn. I did not like it at all. Honestly, hated it. If I'm to be honest, I hated it. The worship, (laughs) the worship is just so different, and I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, it's so different, and it just was not what I was used to. And the pastors being white, yeah, that that was very different. In a congregation of mainly white people, I... I didn't feel accepted. The congregation, they don't reach out much, at least what what I've experienced. I could be wrong. It's like we have the time of like greeting each other. Like that was the most I've ever really talked to anyone in that church was just the greeting. Like other than that, like no one ever really came to me and asked me, who are you? What's your name? Like, and no one tried to get to know me. I believe that was because I was black. But instead of feeling uncomfortable and just leaving, Ashley decided to push through. She completed her summer with Love Thy Neighborhood and Sojourn and returned to college to finish her senior year. But then after graduating, she decided to come back to Louisville, this time to serve for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. And this meant she would again be attending the white church with the weird music. So here, a year later, was it any different? Had Sojourn become more welcoming to minorities? Well, yes. 
and no. Ashley remembers a day that was both comforting and discouraging. It was July 2016, right after the shootings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. If you remember, they were two African-American men, both shot and killed by white police officers. That was hard. Um, I was very hard and just, again, thinking about my family, thinking about my brothers, thinking about my nephew. My brothers, they're 28 and they've been stopped by police. And it's scary because like anything can happen to them. And then I have two nephews that are under one and it's like, what, what are they going to experience? Like, I'm scared, honestly, for their lives, honestly, because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, I don't know if this is going to get better or if it's going to get worse. That evening, Sojourn had a special service of lament to mourn the loss of these two men's lives and to mourn the effects that racism has on our communities. I think one of my roommates said that I should go. Um... So I was just like, okay, I'll go and just see how this happens. During the service, the issue of race was brought up again from the pulpit, this time from white pastor Daniel Montgomery. Hearing him say that there is racism and segregation in the church was very comforting to know that he he realizes it and he knows that it's happening. The lament service ended up being comforting to Ashley. That is, until she started to leave. As I was walking out, there's a lady that came up to me and said, do you see those police officers over there? You should give them a hug. And then she she walked off. And I was like, what? Like, why? Why? Like, I'm also suffering. Why would you say, tell me <laughs> to hug those police officers? And just to clarify, Ashley isn't saying that she thinks all police officers are racist and undeserving of her respect. That's not what this moment was about. This moment was shocking to Ashley because this woman, who she had never met, made this statement without knowing or considering Ashley's own pain during this time. I don't know why she said that. I don't know why she came up to me and said that. I was, again, just kind of very angry at that point because, like, you hear Pastor Daniels talking about this and talking about how there is racism and segregation in the church and saying that we need to comfort our minority brothers and sisters. And then she comes up to me and says that. Just, she didn't hear, she did not hear. I wanted to say to her, like, I need a hug right now because I'm struggling right now. That was, that was honestly the hardest, one of the hardest moments at Sojourn for me. Ashley still attends Sojourn. She says she's encouraged by how the leadership wants to see racial diversity and reconciliation. She just hopes it will trickle down to the rest of the congregation. And racism is still something Ashley is working through, both racism towards her and her own racism towards others. Because it's just, it's so, it's so easy. It's so easy to do it, to judge white people um, and to blame them for everything that's happening. Um, it's, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to be angry at them. My skin, something that I, I can't control, is causing me so much uh, hurt and pain and so much... Uh, it's something I can't control. It's just influencing so much of my life and my family's life. And it's like, we didn't ask for this, you know, like, it's, it's hard. 
It's hard. Hold on. Can, can we pause for a second? Kevin, as, as best as you can, can you take a second and try to help folks that are white attempt to see some of this through the eyes of a minority? I mean, I think the, the issue is the there is no responsibility from from anyone other than an African-American to do something about that. What, what I what I hear when I when I hear a white Christian brother say, you go you go hug them right now. It's simply, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all kind of messed up. So since you're black people, your black family messed up, go make this police officer feel better. So I think the frustration with with blacks in the church is that you jump to the same reaction that unsaved people do. And I see no difference between you who I'm sitting next to at church and the person that I work next to in the in the cubicle next to me who's an atheist. And the conclusion is that because of the color of your skin, I can make a lot of assumptions about you, that you're somebody that engages in criminal activity, that you're somebody that comes from a broken family, that you are not educated. And when I put all those things together, your place at the table is significantly less than mine. Remember what Rachel Ham said earlier? The membership was so ill-equipped to love and care for their minority brothers and sisters. In order to work toward the reality of Revelation 7, Sojourn needed to be equipped. Who could equip them? Who could help them understand the minority experience and bring about a healthy change for this community? Coming up next... My name is Jamal Williams. I'm the first black pastor of uh, Sojourn Community Church. Stay with us. Hi, this is Zachary Edwards from Reynoldsburg, Ohio. I'm in an impact on racial reconciliation by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Today's story where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. We've been following Sojourn Community Church as they seek to move towards the racial reconciliation God describes in Revelation 7. They have talked about it from the pulpit, listened to their minority members, and realized they are not equipped for many of the issues that arise around race. In an answer to many years of prayer, Jamal Williams was installed as Sojourn's first African-American lead pastor in 2016. Really, man, I love the black church. Uh, I, I love uh, the, the traditional old school black church. I enjoy the organ. I enjoy the music. Um, so that's actually my, my first preference of, of, of music and things like that. But in order to come here, I had to give that up. Before coming to Sojourn, Jamal was the pastor of another local church, Forest Baptist, a historically black congregation. And he loved Forest. It's a thriving church. While he pastored there, Forrest was seeing tremendous growth. So why would he leave and come to Sojourn, who so far doesn't have a great track record with their own racial problems? Sojourn is a very influential white church, uh, second sending church in the in the convention that they're in, in terms of sending out missionaries on the mission field, over 40 mission families, very influential uh, throughout the country, has a network of churches that are, are namely uh, mono-ethnic. And I thought the, the influence that I could have 
in a white pulpit week in and week out, helping to tear down caricatures of black life, helping to expose them to more resources, um, helping to 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 unite and to build up other churches. I thought that this was the, the best route to go. But he second guessed himself right after he was officially brought on board. My first official day on staff, I was actually in the hospital <laughs> because I got sick right after I was installed and uh, had uh, just doctors couldn't figure out what was, what was going on, had extreme pain and uh, was on my back for two weeks. So that was just the thing where you're just like, all right, Lord, did I miss something? Am I in your wheel? <laughs> like, What in the world is going on? But Jamal trusted the vision. And after those two weeks, he finally got well and was able to really start diving in and doing life with leaders and people at Sojourn. And one of the things he wanted to show them about having relationships and doing life across racial divides is that people are different from you, like way different. Like sometimes they just don't get it. A lot of times in the African-American tradition, you just give people nicknames. Like So so one thing, it was just a running joke at Forrest, is I just had this make-believe family. Nuke Nuke and Bebe that I would preach to in our church. And we find ourselves at home one evening a week, burnt out and tired because Nuke Nuke and Bebe want us to run some errand that they could run for themselves. And I remember uh, one sermon here at Sojourn, I said, then everybody was like, Nuke Nuke. I just saw a couple people look around like, is that a name? Is that really a, and I just was like, okay. <laughs> I said, excuse me, y'all. This is actually what I'm saying. And everybody, oh, okay. I'm with you, you know. He also wanted to demonstrate that differences don't have to be dividing walls. It's okay to just be different from one another. To show this, Pastor Jamal and Pastor Dana Montgomery decided to preach a sermon together. Here's a clip. We do it by grace every day, moment by moment. All right? Because if you haven't noticed, there are some differences between Pastor Jamal and myself. Just a few. Just a few. Just a few. Yeah. I grew up listening to Tupac, Biggie, and Jay-Z. I grew up listening to Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And two of the three of those people, I have no idea who it is. So I'm a second-generational preacher, generation I, preacher. I grew up fatherless. I am a deep internal processor. I am not. <laughs> I'm a verbal processor. And here's the big one. I'm black. And I'm not. <laughs> One of the things that I heard when we were reporting on this is that there was a meeting among the elders of this church, and they drew a line in the sand, and they said, racial reconciliation is something that we are not going to change our minds on, that God is concerned with reconciling himself to us, but that also because we are his children, we are concerned with reconciling ourselves to one another. And one of the things that, that is just fantastic in this, and I'm, I'm so encouraged by you have people on both sides that are willing to lay down preferences. I think what's most encouraging is even when members begin to leave Sojourn. I mean, that, that was just part of it, right? Folks pulled out when Jamal was named as pastor. The leaders didn't say, okay, we, we, we need to abandon this mission. Or we're going to keep fighting to keep dealing with this. And, that's little, and, that, and, and again, that's not easy for a lot of people to do. So the question is, has this been worth it? Mike Hosper receiving countless emails and criticisms and losing sleep after his sermon. Casey Hamm having an awkward lunch with his in-laws and constantly feeling uncomfortable. Ashley Jackson feeling unwelcome and getting angry by being told to hug a police officer. Jamal Williams giving up his position at his black church to help equip Sojourn. 
Has any of this made any difference? Two weeks in to me preaching here, there's a, a guy who goes here, he brought his grandmother, who was um, a known racist in her family. And he said that he was afraid when he saw that I was preaching because he knew, had conversations with her about race in the past, as well as when he saw what I was preaching. I was preaching on, on justice. And he said he just breathed a, like a large uh, 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 gulp because he said, man, this is not going to turn out good. But he then uh, told me that his grandmother, just by one sermon and hearing me preach, he could see God at work in her heart. And he says she's not perfect, but she's super aware. And how that's all she talks about now is sojourn and their new pastor who's black. And that rarely does he talk to her without her, her asking him uh, about me. And this is a woman that's a Christian who had animosity and bitterness and uh, a wrong perspective of the image of God for all these years and God tore it down. And I'm willing to bet that there's at least 50 people like that in our congregation. And I think it's well worth the, well worth the, the move and the investment. Reconciliation is at the heart of God. And, and uh, multi-ethnic worship is at the heart of God from the very beginning. And I, I hope that as this vision continues and as the vision is pushed by the leaders, that the, the members in the congregation continue to grow and learn. And taking it a step further than I went out and I walked around the neighborhood on a prayer walk today to I walked around on a prayer walk, I met Joe I, I went back to Joe's house. I asked him if he wanted to go out to lunch. I asked Joe what his experience has been in this neighborhood. And now Joe and I are friends. It's important because of our neighborhood, yes. It's important because of the demographic of our church. We have people who are unreconciled in the body of Christ. You know, Sunday is the most segregated day of the week, right? But mostly it's important, and firstly it's important because of the gospel, because it is a gospel issue. The gospel is reconciliation. And if we are going to preach the gospel and believe the gospel, then we need to be a part of this. If you would like to grow in awareness and how you can take part in racial reconciliation, we have a resource page with blog articles, sermons, books, and more. Visit our website, lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. A special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Mike Cosper, Casey and Rachel Hamm, Ashley Jackson, and Jamal Williams. Listen, check out Mike Cosper's brand new podcast, Cultivated. You can go to harbormedia.com. They are just doing phenomenal work exploring the intersection of faith and work. If you want to hear more sermons from Pastor Jamal Williams, you can check those out by going to sojournchurch.com. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host is the Dr. Kevin Jones. And our producer, technical director, and editor is Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Wooden Axel. Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian community by visiting lovetheneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.